0: Hey, y'all, how are we doing? Shout out to Bear Nation for tuning in for another episode of the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship, a podcast for the entrepreneur-minded, created by entrepreneurs, discussing the real stories that give you the tools to overcome challenges and stay true to your real self. As always, I want to give a shout out to our partners over at Finn. Finn is a social good platform that creates employee engagement and builds culture. We've teamed up with Finn to give back to the communities that we serve. For every episode, we will be donating $10 to the cause of choosing by our guest in the Finn platform. Enjoy today's episode. Bear Nation, how are we doing? We are back again for another episode of the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest to speak with. And we're going to talk about two different things today. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship, which is what this podcast is all about. We're going to also talk about what is intrapreneurship and what does it mean to be entrepreneurial-minded, driving innovation at large organizations. And so I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Greg Larkin. Greg Larkin is an absolute badass. He is the founder, chief punk at Punks and Pinstripes. He is a best-selling author of a book that's called This Might Get Me Fired, which we'll definitely go into. He is on a member of a number of boards. He's a guest lecturer at Columbia. Yada yada yada. His resume is super long, and I could bore you for five minutes. All you need to know: he's an absolute badass. But he has three deeply interconnected passions: one, transforming huge companies; two, being a good dad; and three, punk music. Right. And so, other things come and go, but these three elements are his bedrock, which. When you think about those as his bedrock, you'll start to understand of all the things that he does, why he is a builder of things. So Greg, say hello to Bear Nation for me.
1: Hello, Bear Nation.
0: I am so excited, Greg. So, you know, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship versus entrepreneurship at some point. But before we get into that, you have your own entrepreneurial journey. So walk me through in the lessons out there, kind of the early... Greg Larkin and how you got into this world of entrepreneurship and eventually intrapreneurship, because you started out predicting something pretty, pretty big uh, back in 2000 and oh, I don't know, eight ish um, working for a small startup.
1: It was 2006. Um, okay.
0: Six bad. Ooh, That's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I was, uh, I was the, the head of research for an investment research startup called Innovest um and uh in that role so it was an amazing startup it was really early on in the what's now a huge like multi trillion dollar industry called ESG investing um Innovest kind of invented it okay. and uh and I was responsible when I, they first hired me they they hired me to analyze banks and mm-hmm. The first ever product I pushed was uh, the first public prediction of the 2008 financial crisis. Um, I I never worked on Walls. I was totally unqualified to make that prediction slash perfectly (laughs) qualified to make that prediction because I was unqualified. So, like, it's one of those rare moments where my lack of formal training and my willingness to just, like, Dive in. Let's start looking at the data. Let's start talking to the people who who are buying these mortgages. Um, you know, let's dive in and, and if you piss people off, that's a good indication that you're right. Um yeah. I very I very much pissed people off. And I was very <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so that that's really where my uh my I learned really early on. In fact, I learned immediately in my first ever Startup, and the first thing I did for that startup that opposition is validation, and um, it hurts, it'll scare the shit out of you. I had some really powerful, rich people who wanted me dead, um, mm-hmm. but I really liked it. I, I, I li- I'm fucked up in that way, Rob. I just yeah. really, I like the fact that they were ready to kill me. I'm like, all right, this is this
0: is good. Well, I love that. I mean. It- because you said this that because so we are the bare necessities, we talk about nonlinear career paths and how things happen when you chase opportunity. Because you weren't qualified makes you qualified, right? Sometimes when you're qualified a certain way and you're trained a certain way to do X, Y, and Z, you see things how they teach you how to do it versus you have the skills. And you're an innovative thinker and you looked at the data and it's like, this is what the data is telling us. Like, I don't know what you're seeing, but this is what the data tells us. And, you know, we talk about validation, right? A lot of times we ask for feedback, but we want fucking validation. And what we need is feedback. What we need is opposition. In order to validate a true idea, especially as an entrepreneur taking a product to market, in order to validate your product market fit, you need opposition. You need people to push back and make you defend that to make sure that it's actually a fit in the market. And you've been doing this since you, since you started. And, and you said that you know you love this opposition because opposition is validation. And it's such a true thing is that if you're not getting pushback, then you're not pissing people off. If you're not scaring people, then something's off in the market because there's such a dynamic nothing, market volatility.
1: Nothing better can happen to a startup than the incumbents in your space coming after you. Because then the press wants to talk to you. Then there's some mm-hmm. controversy swirling around you. Then people are like, guess who the startup is that's scaring everyone? You know, who's, mm-hmm. who's Goldman Sachs afraid of in you know, a best. You yeah. know, Greg Larkin is the guy. Who, and like because of that backlash, especially as the thing we predicted started to like materialize. Mm-hmm. and some of the worst stories of like the top lawyer at Lehman Brothers, you know, threatening to kill me. You know, those things start to circulate, people start mm-hmm. talking. And they were, you know, as CNBC and Bloomberg and Business Week and the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times were like, did anyone see this coming and 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 like what did they see coming? And they found me this like 28-year-old punk. You know, I had no business being the guy on TV, essentially kind of dressed like this. Yeah. But suddenly I'm the guy that they're like, hey, we need that guy on TV because he's going to be the guy that pisses people off on air and keeps our viewers yeah. like, ooh, juicy. As opposed to, <laughs> you know, um, the borough of labor statistics numbers just came out and the housing crisis has just materialized by 58 basis points and the Dow is up 38 points. Thank you, good night. Like, I'm not that yeah. fucking guy. I'm the guy who's like... Uh, You know, the guy who's telling you who's the sell side analyst at Morgan Stanley that the banks are going to recover and Lehman is bottomed out doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He's a jackass. He's a douchebag. He's just trying to separate (laughs) you from your money. And thank God I had a CEO at that time who Matt Kiernan, God bless him, who was like, do it more. Be more aggressive <laughs> you know he was like
0: oh you do wait you do that... that
1: one in your corner oh dude i mean most very few ceos would stare down the barrels of those guns and be yeah. like uh keep going he was like that's amazing say it louder how can yeah. i help you you know he <laughs> loved it uh he really had my back in really significant ways um and and for him it was a huge sales victory Yeah. Um, it, it, it took our audience out of a niche market and and into the general population of everyday investors. Um, a lot of people who, you know, his philosophy was always, um, if you can, if you're speaking to a crowded room, say something that's going to slaughter a sacred cow and infuriate half the people in the room. Always. Because the other half of the people in the room will be like, "We've been waiting for someone who had the audacity to say that out loud. Thank yeah. God, that someone has finally had the 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 courage to speak truth to power." Yeah, um, and that was always his strategy. I think that's a great strategy for almost every startup. Um, and uh, and I think the branding of most startups is like. Are you having trouble loading your documents? Well, we can help. Every fucking scumbag yeah. is trying to do that. It's going to say the same thing. But if you're the person who's like, here's the bullshit you have to work with right now. It's fucked yeah. up. It's stupid. You deserve better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people resonate with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you make a great point that so many entrepreneurs take a new product to market and they're vanilla. It's the same thing. It's, it's derivative. Instead of making waves, and so for those that are listening and not watching, Greg's just wearing like a button-up t-shirt. Uh, when I met Greg, like the punk that he is, we were in Prague, Czech Republic. Uh, we were all we were both speaking um, at Web Expo, and Greg walks up in his leather jacket. I think I was wearing a V-neck or whatever, just totally relaxed, and I was like. That's Greg Larkin and my our my buddy Phil, who was my business partner, introduced us. Who knew Greg? He's like, "That's Greg Larkin." And, and Greg walked up, and I was <laughs> like, "Yep, I understand this punk this punk attitude now." Uh, we'll get into that a little bit with with your current role, but you know, to this point in your journey, you started off as a young analyst and a startup, and your CEO is telling you to be entrepreneurial. He's saying, "Go be louder, go be louder." He's pushing you and, and really driving this. Entrepreneurial spirit inside of you, and after that, I know that you, you know, kind of went through the ringer of of the fall, the, the fallout of this, of, of the predictions, and going through yeah. the financial crisis. But then you ended up going from this startup environment to working in big organizations with you know MSCI and um, Bloomberg. I mean, you ended know, up at Bloomberg, where you wrote the book, right? So tell me, like what was this jump into like the big corporate like, and what is this like concept of intrapreneurship and how did you find this vein to create innovation? And, and, and I want to kind of get into what intrapreneurship is for all those entrepreneurial minded folks out there that are working at big organizations. If you're looking for a way to make a name for yourself and really get innovative, Greg is your guy and also read his book. This might get me fired. I read it game changer about the corporate lifestyle. So Greg, talk to us a little bit about, you know, that transition into from startup life and making a a name for yourself, good, bad, or indifferent into working for one of the biggest companies in the world in Bloomberg. And then going through this transition of, you know, how do I make my mark as an entrepreneur?
1: Um, I also want to add another question to that, Rob, which is what not to do if you're trying to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think um, one of the really important things that an entrepreneur needs to be clear about, if you're an entrepreneur, if you have the wiring of an entrepreneur, if you're motivated to solve an entrenched problem in a new way, um, and you happen to find yourself as an employee, inside of a huge company don't let that fire go out if you have that Mm -hmm. flame in your soul don't let it be smothered and suffocated by the environment you're in but in order to do that you have to really be clear about the things you're going to not do that everyone else does you have Mm -hmm. to be really clear about what you're against um and you have to be really clear about what are some of the conventional tools of innovation that you're gonna not utilize that your company is probably gonna tell you to utilize? Um and so I think it's not just what are you for as an entrepreneur, but also what are you against? Um and, and, and what are your non-negotiables and, and what are you willing to get fired for? Um I, I I think entrepreneurship is often depicted as something that everyone where everyone's rooting for you and everyone wants you to win and that's complete fucking bullshit if you're doing it right uh a lot of people in the organization are going to try to have you killed um, Yeah, they're going to view you as a threat and, and the paradox of being an entrepreneur is that the more successful you are the more points you're putting on the board the more gener- revenue you're generating the more you're turning around legacy businesses uh the more people who think they who who are motivated not by impactfulness but by status are going to view you as a threat and that means that mm-hmm. a lot of the people that have historically had power in that organization are going to view you uh as a as like a cancer that needs to be obliterated um mm-hmm. i'm not saying that to be an asshole i'm just saying it cuz it's true yeah. and um I, you know i i i wish more Entrepreneurs went into that reality with their eyes wide open to it, because that's ultimately how you win is navigating through that. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a master at design thinking, or it doesn't matter if you're, um, built an incredible venture studio. It, it, none of that shit matters. The only thing that matters is the fact is, is how you handle yourself when
0: someone tries to shut you down. Um, so, not to interrupt you there, but that's such an. I, I mean, I want to say it louder for those in the back, right? Like if you're entrepreneurial spirited and you're working as an employee at a big company, you need to have the same mentality you do as an entrepreneur. What do you stand for? But also what are you against? What are you willing to not do and get fired for? As an entrepreneur. You, most entrepreneurs start a business for two reasons. One, they have a pain they want to solve. And two, there's something that they did not like about regular life that they are 100% against. They'll never let that happen in that organization, yeah. right? And so they're starting a business and creating a culture on something, standing for something, and against something else. And so if you're going into a big organization, and yeah, it may seem scary, but the only way innovation really happens, as Greg said earlier, opposition. You can't just validate, oh, you're great. This is great. We're great. We're a 100-year-old legacy company. That's how you get into problems. It's also,
1: it's a delicate balance. I don't want to make it seem like you just kick down the doors at a place like, um, (laughs) at a place like IBM and you're like, hey, fuck the system. (laughs) And everyone's going to be like, oh my God, we're so happy you're here. You know, no, Mm -hmm. that's not the way it's going to work. But um, what I have found that's interesting is, it's, it, it's a little bit more subtle than how I describe it, where you're like, hey, I'm here. There's certain things I stand for and certain things I just won't tolerate. And you might be used to people putting up with that shit. I'm not that person. Not. Um, you kind of have to do that, but you also have to follow it up with. And if you are someone with power who's been here for a long time and you are motivated to create a new normal inside here. I'm here to help seriously here to help. I will work nights and weekends. I will put up with your bullshit because you're going to be investing in me and I'm going to give back to you, Uh you know? And and if we have that kind of relationship where you're my godfather and I'm your punk, um, let's do it. Like let's make that the snowball, which grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until it creates some, some degree of unstoppable momentum.
0: Um,
1: And that's, that's a really important next thing you have to say, which is like, look, I'm, I'm not here to be like everyone else. I'm here to do it differently and to have, and and I'm driven by impactfulness and differentiation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm culturally not one of you. And, um, and if you want to, you know, link arms with me, let's, let's do it. Like, let's, let's, let's make some serious change happen. And, um, a, a lot of people have never seen anyone like that before. And, uh, they, uh, they feel called when they meet someone who has that attitude mm-hmm. and carries that with them. Yeah. They really feel like I've I just, I don't know. One of the most memorable things I've ever seen was at um, at PwC, one of the senior partners at PwC, um, he did an amazing he he was really i liked him he was always nice but it wasn't until you met brooke cow who was this like full stack uh engineer designer superhero who also had like a sleeve of tattoos uh like had half of her head was like shaved you know her hair was a different color she was like Megan Rapino from the U S women's national team, mm-hmm. but just a little bit more punk than even Megan Rapino is. She cursed too much. She didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was really nice, you know, like, yes, she was punk, but she was also oh, like wonderful to be in a studio with incredibly yeah. good in a user testing session, incredibly good, incredibly speedy at getting like ideas into prototypes and prototypes into products. Mm-hmm. And, As soon as Dave met her, he was like, we like the partnership of the biggest accounting firm in the world work for you, (laughs) not the other way around. Like this is, you are the type of person who we have to build our company around. Yeah. That's um, amazing. And that happens more often than you might think.
0: And that's see, and that's surprising. And that's what I think is amazing out there is that there's opportunities in all stages of life and all stages of companies to be an entrepreneurial minded person, right? There is the definition of the word entrepreneur, somebody who starts their own business, but there's entrepreneurship minded, meaning you think differently, you act differently, you push the limits. You're not afraid to go the, the little extra mile that could get you fired to create a real d- impact. it's not done out of, like, let me just see how I could break the rules. It's what can I do to create meaningful, lasting impact at an organization? Yeah. And I think think that's really important.
1: It is really important. But there's another piece to that, which is not everyone is is wired that way. And so I think one of the things that an entrepreneur needs to, to do is... If someone is just not organically wired to be an entrepreneur, how can they be a really good entrepreneur ally in a company mm-hmm. that's really old and really conservative and really risk-averse? Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to the entrepreneur to define that. You know, mm-hmm. where do you need people to clear out the obstacles, clear out the obstructionists, clear out the obstructionisms? mm mm-hmm. You know, how do you how do you need people to behave differently, act differently, do differently, invest differently? Um, And if you're not able to define what that scaffolding of allies is going to look like, Mm -hmm. um, what you're going to find is really quickly you're like sitting in an innovation lab which in reality is an innovation studio you're a fucking cost center like you're borrowing from the same budget as the office christmas party seriously Mm -hmm. and no one takes you seriously uh if at any time there's any moment of hey you know what we just had a shitty quarter we need to pull back guess who's gonna be cut you um you know, you're, you're in very tenuous position. That's a horrible, they call it an entrepreneur in residence. That's bullshit. It's an entrepreneur in jail. If you find yourself <laughs> in one of those departments, it's bullshit. And especially yeah. like me, if you have um a track record in a startup of putting serious points on the board and like fucking shit up and, and, and making shit tons of money and doing a great job. And suddenly you're like, Building prototypes that you know it's never going to get to market. Um, yeah, it's like a horrible waste of talent, and it's a horrible, especially if it's in a company where real where they really need a big victory, but yeah. they're like politically
0: we're not going through that. It sucks. So when we think about, so it sounds like one entrepreneurship also requires you to be much more of a tactician in finding allies because as an entrepreneur, you're like fuck it, I run my business. I create, I kind of, but lack of a better term, bust through my own walls, right? And in, in, in a legacy type of company, as an entrepreneur, you really need to start being more of a tactician and a strategist. Okay, here's my, here's where I pull this from. Here's where I need to get this person to remove blockers. Here's the allies that change can happen. So when you think about these organizations, you know, you worked at Bloomberg and you, you, you talk about this, you know, and in your content, how does one how does an entrepreneur create impactful innovation or change? You, know, you kind of walk through finding the allies doing these things. But when, when you think about that, that actual job, how does, sure. how does one feel or see what that impact looks like once they bring all the pieces together and, and start to see that line at the end of the tunnel, um, in an entrepreneurial world?
1: Yeah, I think there's really, um, probably four pieces to it four roman numerals to it um i love the number, roman numeral system <laughs> yeah uh so roman numeral 1 is forget everything you've read about innovation right clay christensen really wonderful man may he rest in peace very smart um and insightful you know thinker professor um Unfortunately, I don't think what he says is actionable. If you're an entrepreneur, it's very intelligent. I don't think it's uh-huh. useful. Um, uh-huh. Forget about that, you know, like, forget about the academic writing of it, innovation. Forget about the lean startup. Ignore all that shit. Pretend that Carl Icahn sent you, right? Like pretend the meanest, most snub nosed motherfucker the worst sort of investor who just did a hostile takeover of your company and mm-hmm. assume that they're that they sent you. They are like spoke to your CEO and was like, this person is going to be in charge now. Right. They have a responsibility. So that's like thing one, you know, the reason you're there isn't to be anyone's fucking friend. Yeah. Um, And you have to insist on economic outcomes, right? You have Uh to think like a aggressive Wall Street. And I'm lucky because that's the world I came from. But if you start off on the premise that you are the product, the reason you have to innovate is because of a hostile takeover that. Because someone is like, your company is going to turn into Sears if, or Nokia if you don't get this shit sorted out. And I will not mm-hmm. tolerate that. That's why you're there. Right? It has yeah. nothing to do with some kumbaya bullshit where you're going to throw a post-it note party. Fuck that. It's not going to happen. No post-it notes. Yeah. No PowerPoint decks. You either put points on the board or you fucking don't. Um yeah. Thing one, be a dick. Be an economic, like make sure your CFO is like, God, I'm so fucking happy to hear you say that, right? Like (laughs) your CFO has just had the worst quarterly investment call with investors ever. Right. So you have to have a hypothesis of mission critical economic value that you're going to drive right out of the gate. And I call that the rule of 20. You have to do two things. You have to create a 20 X new venture. You have to create a portfolio. And from that portfolio will emerge a 20 X new venture Mm -hmm. or a 20% turnaround of an old business. Ideally both. But don't do anything that doesn't ladder up to the rule of 20. Um, And, and if you see that you're working on something that will never have a chance of getting to that rule of 20, say it, Yeah. say it out loud as fast as you fucking can. As soon as you see the dead end, as soon as you Mm -hmm. do not have like clear visibility into achieving the rule of 20, say we are wasting our time, wasting our resources, wasting our money. And Mm -hmm. we have other opportunities to use that money, use that time, use those resources to adhere to the rule of 20. Let's pivot. Let's reallocate that capital. No innovators do that. But the minute you say that is the minute you have credibility on the inside of your institution. More credibility than maybe anyone in the entire company. So number one, you are the product of a hostile takeover Two, Mm -hmm. the way in which you add value to your hostile takeover uh, investors is by putting points on the wall, uh, putting rule of 20 points on the board. Uh, Rule number three is create an opportunity for skeptics and cynics and resistors to join you. Create an opening for them to be Supportive of you and for you to support them. Sometimes they're obstructionists only because of their ego. Other times their concerns are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're willing to have those conversations. Create, I say this all the time, overcorrect for dissent, overcorrect for it, meaning Carve out more space than you think you need to have difficult conversations with people who don't like you. Because when you actually do that and you have someone who's facilitating those conversations well, you're going to get better input of how you can be disruptive than a startup ever can. They have been there for a long time. Sometimes they're just assholes, but a lot of times the reason they oppose what you're saying is because... They know how hard it is to get a distribution channel set up. Mm -hmm. You know, they know how tough the regulator can be. They've had to testify in front of the regulator before. They've been on the receiving end of a big fine. They know how tough it is to get suppliers to line up from China. Right? Like, they know that shit. Don't leave that wisdom on the cutting room floor because they may maybe come across with an adversarial outlook. So Mm overcorrect for dissent is rule number three. Um, rule number four is don't assume everyone's going to like you. You might get everything right. And, um, a lot of opposition just won't go away. We'll do everything they can to sabotage you and undermine you. So rule number four is always be willing to get fired or leave always from the outset um know your own exit yeah right and, and and be transparent about it i'd say that all the time don't if they're gonna be like hey you say that again you're gonna get yourself fired be like fucking fire me do it like let's yeah. you move on with your life i'll move on with mine the sooner and more often like that your self-worth is not calibrated to their definition of you winning is something that has to be really clear, really early. Yeah. And so I I, I say this all the time. You have to have the talk, which is you sit down with the most senior person who's got your back. You sit down with your Godfather and and you say to them, look, if I win, you're going to have some of the hardest, most difficult conversations of your life. Mm -hmm. And don't say yes to me going forward unless you're ready for this, right? Because people who you are friends with, people who have a huge amount of power, people whose entire definition of their own self worth is because they are the senior vice president of X or the CXO of Y. Yeah. Are going to find that the power which constitutes their ego that I'm taking it away from them. Mm -hmm. I don't want their power. I don't give a shit if I have their status. It's not why I'm doing this, but it's going to happen. They're going to have, we're going to have that talk. And if you're not prepared to be in those conversations, if you think that you're hiring me to have a post-it note party, there's plenty of people that can give you a post-it note party. Hire them, not me. Yeah. You know, cause I'm not here to, fu- I'm not fucking around. Carl Icahn yeah. sent me, you know? Yeah. And, um, I also think there's another thing that, um, every entrepreneur needs to know, which is what is the exit strategy for the product you're building?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Entrepreneurs have exits just like entrepreneurs. And that's kind of three exits. One of them is, uh, it's a spinoff, right? We mm-hmm. do a really good job. We get to something which is, you know, call it, uh, it's, it's worth more than $10 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that if you had it as an independent entity that was separate from the company, you could just do better with it. Like my first startup MSCI, not my first startup, but one of the companies that acquired us was started out as a division of Morgan Stanley. That was a spinoff. mm mm-hmm. Um, the other is a walled garden. So, like Marcus inside of Goldman Sachs is a walled garden. It is a standalone business unit, but it's kind of a walled garden inside of Goldman Sachs. It has to share a budget, it has to share some of the infrastructure. You know, it's it's a division within the company, but it's pretty much standalone. It's its own brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the third piece is the new normal, which is essentially mm-hmm. thank you for building that incredible product. Um, We need you to now take over and transform and turn around many of our legacy businesses, Mm -hmm. right? We need you to create the new normal so that everyone else acts and, uh, and puts money on the, on the board. Like you just have, that's the new normal. You have to know what exit you're, you're, you're shooting for before you start. That has to be Uh something you define really early on because how you build and how much of a how aggressive you can be in terms of pushing for change is really different in a walled garden versus a a spin-off
0: versus a new normal that's awesome and you know i've never heard it like that that clearly defined and i think it's really important because you know i talk to entrepreneurs all the time and when i'm coaching them you know i always one of the first questions that they're like looking to have rob help coach them and grow and scale i say what is your exit plan? are you looking to grow this? Are you looking to be acquired? Are you looking for funding? Are you going to bootstrap this? Because if you're looking for funding, you're going to give up part of your company. When you give up part of your company, you no longer own all of the assets. Sure. If you're looking to do this from bootstrap, that's a whole different thing. If you're looking to get acquired, you're building it with acquisition in mind. So you're building it differently. And so there's a lot of parallels to those things. And you know, some entrepreneurs are like, I don't know. And it's like, if you don't define it early, you may not get what you want out of it because you're building it in a, such a way that someone might not see as desirable. So I love that. I love kind of the, the four key points. And as we kind of look in the back half of this conversation, I really want to get into, um, you know, you've gone through your different journeys of working for a startup, working as an entrepreneur, then you became an entrepreneur. You started a couple of different businesses. And right now, you know, you're a chief punk of punks and pinstripes, the community uh, that uh, that I'm happy to be a part of. Uh, so tell me a little about kind of what you're doing and your entrepreneurial journey with punks and pinstripes and kind of the mission or brand of what you're trying to share with the world, with this concept of punks and pinstripes that you've talked to me about, cause I love it. And I think it's really important for people to know that there's some really badass punks that wear a suit, you know, at the top levels of senior leadership that people don't know about. And this is yeah. where getting to know people and pushing limits and really opening up and being part of communities starts, um, starts to get really exciting.
1: But By the way, Rob, the irony of you, like, there's an image that I think many of us have of a punk, which is like strung out on heroin, does lots of drugs, listens to really loud music, is kind of filthy. Um, but you're having this conversation and like my son is just walking around in the back. My wife (laughs) is like brushing the dog's fur, making sure. (laughs) So whatever preconceived notions you might have of a punk, I don't know if it's like a domesticated clean, you know, Brooklyn Brownstone dad, but, um, you know, I think it it should be, but I hope I'm redefining punk for a few of your, your listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, punks and pinstripes. The reason I established punks and pinstripes is a few things. One of the most frustrating and hard things for me when I was the head of innovation at Bloomberg was that it's a very lonely existence as an entrepreneur. Um, there's not a lot of community entrepreneurs have shit tons of community available to them. Um, but as an entrepreneur, um, most of the people who have the term innovation in their job title are not really entrepreneurs. It's not a punk thing in their fiber of their being. That's not to say mm-hmm. that they're not good folks, but you know what I mean? They're not, they're not prop provocateurs, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're not out there to get into trouble. Not really. Um, and so it's kind of really hard to find your people, you know, find the people who like, there were just so many times, dude, at Bloomberg where I would be like at after drinks and, and people, and, you know, and I would just relax a little bit and be like, yeah, you know, I, I, I hear the dead Kennedys are getting back together. And people would be like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> who are you and why are you here? <laughs> Either, yeah, and they'd be like, yeah, well,
1: I just took my family to go see Billy Joel at the fucking Madison Square Garden. And I'm just like, oh, why the fuck would you do that? You had a perfectly <laughs> shitty piss stained club where, you know, people were diving off stage and cutting themselves. That's fucking great. Um so there's this just cultural outlierness and I think finding or sending and, and being able to receive the sonar signal of finding your people is just harder as an intravener. Mm-hmm. Um and eventually I figured that out. But I established punks and pinstripes because um I, I want that, that personality type, you know, yeah. the type of people that are willing to, who, who care more about impact than status and are willing to, to get, fired, get fired or quit and, or if they can't get it. Um, you know, that's a, that's a tough person to find inside of a corporate setting. Yeah. Um, I also found that as a, an advisor and a board member, you know, the companies like my favorite ideal customers, um, you know, the CEOs who hire me, who I just love and they love me back. Um, it's never like the CIO or the COO or the CEO or whatever. It's always a personality type for me, Yeah, much more so than it is. Like if it's, I'm, I'm looking for CTOs of X. Like it's really hard for me to know what conferences I'm supposed to be at, you know, Um, because they don't have a a conference for people who are driven to create an entrepreneurial new normal in an old company. Tell me that conference. I will be there and I'll, I'll I'll sponsor the (laughs) biggest booth. Right. But it's like, it's almost impossible to find that. Um, and so, with punks and pinstripes, I kind of pulled together my really weird group of people. Um, by the way, I should also say that, like, unfortunately, none of your listeners can like be part of it. It's it's entirely members picking who comes in. So, mm-hmm. um, no offense to your uh, to Bear Nation out there. I love you guys. Hey, but- none
0: none taken. Mm-hmm. Bear Nation is always excited to learn about new. Communities and opportunities that, you know, there's could be an entrepreneur out there that may connect with you and become, you know, weirdly connected in that weird way because, you know, this is about entrepreneur minded, not necessarily just entrepreneurs, but, you know, totally, yeah. totally get that. So, but this also idea there. of creating a tribe around, you know, I think it's really important. We talk about community all the time and we're in a hyper connected digital age where community is more important than ever. And it's easy to be a part of a million communities, but finding the right communities that drive impact, that connect at a deeper level hard. is really hard to find. And, I think it's that's even what you're harder working on now with, than
1: ever before. Yeah. Um, because I think what social media has done is turn our life into a fucking beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. And, and also you can, jump to, you
0: can jump from community to community with, it's, with ease. Like I could be a part of this community this day and then this tribe tomorrow and That community the next day, there's no, there's not staying power to some of this stuff.
1: So whenever someone becomes a new member of Punks and Pinstripes, um, they jump into, we have a, what we call a gathering every two weeks and, you know, everyone joins on a one hour call and one of the, they have to choose a question. But um, one of those questions is um, when was the last time you woke up at three in the morning and thought to yourself, I'm a fuck up and it's all my fault. And just to be clear, right, like everyone (laughs) has an answer to that. Everybody. I
0: mean, yesterday I I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and realized that I had forgotten to send out three things. I was so pissed because I promised them I'd go out on Monday and I woke up and it wasn't done. And I was just like, yeah, so I woke up at
1: three in the morning yesterday thinking to myself, Rob Napoli was supposed to fucking send me something yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: damn it letting out all my secrets greg <laughs> um, so i i think there's incredible
1: power and in vulnerability is i think mm-hmm. what i'm getting at um yeah and like just to be clear like w- some of the people who are part of this is um stephanie Trunzo, for example senior vice president of transformation of at oracle zev siegel who's the co-founder of of, of starbucks um Mike Amato, uh, he's the chief product officer for Barclays bank. Like you objectively look at their resumes and you, and you see how they live and you might think to yourself, like, well, they don't need to worry about shit. Like they don't have those moments at three in the morning. I, you know, what do they have to And Like, you know what they are, uh, deeply flawed they're error prone they have they think about their own self-esteem uh you know there's not they're they've ticked off all the items on their bucket list yeah and they're still human <laughs> you know uh they're still human and they find a lot of strength in and in, in being in sort of uh, a community which is like Yeah, give us your ugly and we'll give you a big ass hug, you know, Uh, we'll love you through it. And I I think that's um, everyone should have that in their life if they don't. And I think and I think I think people should. um, That's really what I loved about punk when I was a kid growing up in New York City. To be honest, like the reason yeah. punk is, is, is yeah. I, I like, I like the music, but I'll be honest. I also listen to like John Coltrane and Led Zeppelin.
0: Yeah. Um, like delight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's okay to, it's okay to be a little well-rounded, you know? Sure. Um, but what I but liked I about love... it, it was,
1: it was a, it was a collection of misfits you know, you yeah, go down right. to like CBGBs and ABC No Rio and all of those clubs. And it was like this beacon that was sent out to all of the New York City area, which was like. If you're someone who hasn't quite figured out how and where you fit in, uh, you're going to be just fine here. Bring your weird.
0: Right. And um, I mean. I'm 34 still trying to figure that out. So, you know, it's it's a lifelong journey. And, you know, that's part of what I think drew us together immediately yeah. in Prague, hanging out and, and like the conversations we like. For those that don't know, Greg and I sit down and talk. We could talk easily for two hours and we'll cover like 15 different subjects and go through th- multi-threaded conversations and end up kind of just looking at each other like, OK, you want another beer? Like, what did we just cover? Because we just covered so much depth. Um kind of similar to this. Uh but Greg, as we kind of hit the last last couple of minutes here, I have a couple of questions I always like to, to ask uh everyone on the podcast. So let's finish them. this up. And I love I I I know the answer to this, but what is your superpower? Uh,
1: my superpower, I think, is Speaking truth to power in a way that might make them uncomfortable, but also Mm -hmm. in a way that they can hear.
0: That's that's very important. And
1: maybe maybe embrace.
0: Yeah. I think it's very important, right? The other thing is, is it's not that you just speak truth. It's speaking truth to power in a way that people can hear and, and potentially embrace. Meaning, it's delivered in a way that is meant to be heard and understood and acknowledged. And that's a skill to do without coming off as a massive dick, you know? And sometimes people might think that, but for the most part, you're doing it from a place of truth and caring and honesty and vulnerability, all the things we just talked about. And that's really important.
1: And it's, it's, it's truth. Um, I, I, I wish people used this phrase a lot more. I need to share something with you that might be hard for you to hear. When you do X or when the CEO says Y, it doesn't come across as sensible or credible or honest or kind, you know, the way it comes across to an entrepreneur like me is A, B, and C.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and, And I think there's a way to correct that. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. That's not who you kidding asshole. Really? Is that how we are? No, it's like there's a reason I'm sharing this with you is the re- is because I think there's a a a better way forward for everybody and yeah. I think a lot of people would just prefer to suffer in silence and I'm not I'm not everyone else.
0: Love that. So what's uh what's one book, resource, show, piece of content you'd recommend right now?
1: Oh my god. Uh, do I have it, dude,
0: the hype handbook mm-hmm. by Michael Shine. Have I, if you, you recommended this to me. I've shared it so many times. I've read it twice. I've even like tweeted at him and had him tweet back about how good this is. I've recommended it to every entrepreneur I right know.
1: Let me tell you something. Everything you think, you know, about building your brand and marketing and all of that shit is wrong, 100% wrong, or not 100% wrong. It is skipping a really important step. And in the hype handbook, I think the core premise of it is think of three pieces of gospel, conventional wisdom that no one disagrees with in your industry, in your space, and think about why you disagree with them and talk only about that. Um, don't talk about anything else. And, and, and if you think of the brands that have adhered to that rule and how they are just unmissable, you can't, you can't drive by and not like, whoa, did they just say that? Uh, the hype handbook, dude, I, I, I have, I continue to reread it. I've become buddies with Michael Shine. He's a super good guy. Um, but Uh just... That that book is not required reading for every human being in every yeah. environment is, is shocking to me.
0: I'll say the two books that I've read this year that have changed the game for me was the Hyapan book and who not how these two books have made me relook at the way I do business and the way I coach entrepreneurs to create meaningful, impactful businesses.
1: And I, I do know who, not how. I haven't heard of it until just now.
0: Uh, I'm going to make you read it by Dan Sullivan because it it talks about bringing in the right people in your organization versus trying to teach yourself everything and how you do that with balance to create true accountability and collaboration. And I can tell you that my, my legacy, my impact is I want to help 10 entrepreneurs do million dollar businesses because they do million dollar businesses, they can hire a team and then they can in turn, do that again and over and over again. So it creates a lasting impact of teaching people how to run sure. a million dollar business. When I read those two books, it's just completely continued to further my ability to make that impact as a coach. And it's just been a game changer for me, both those books. So uh, I love the Hype Handbook. I've been shouting it from the rooftop since you recommended it to me like three months ago. I put it in my Amazon cart and had read it twice and still just like in awe over it. Yeah, it's um, great. So I know we're at time, but Greg, what is the lasting? What's the lasting kind of message or piece of advice that you would give Bear Nation um, before we close this out? Um,
1: seek the advice of survivors, not superheroes. Right. The thing that makes me. The kind of entrepreneur, advisor, leader, uh, thought leader is because I've been through it. I've been through it. I've gotten kicked in my ass eight ways till Sunday. I have encountered every fucking roadblock. I have gotten, I've had those 3 a.m., you know, uh-huh. moments where you're like, this is not right. This is where I'm supposed to be, um. I've, I've lived through the darkness of it and when you've done that and you come out the other side and you continue to, 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 uh, believe in the mission of it and you continue to persevere and develop the tenacity to keep going, um, you have a really different playbook than someone who sets, sits on the sidelines and is like, as an observer of how innovation is supposed to work inside of a huge company, here's some problems I've seen and some solutions I've developed. Um, same thing with startups. You know, yeah. it, it, seek out the people that have gone through it. The, the, yeah. the survivors don't have the biggest and strongest and most visible brands but they yeah. do have the best resources. They do have the the most valuable insights. They're the people who will work you the hardest. They'll push mm-hmm. you harder than you're comfortable with. And they'll have the broadest shoulders when you need somebody to be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, it's just not fucking working. I feel stuck and I'm sort of hating myself." It's the survivor that'll be like, "I know where you are." Mm-hmm. And that empathy, an ounce of empathy dude, is is worth a lot. And um yeah so i think seek out seek out the survivors and 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 ignore the superheroes
0: yeah i love that because it's really easy to to never have built anything but be an expert in this void of social media of people shouting out and i saw a post the other day about somebody who is like i went to business school for six years and never used it and now i'm running i'm making 25k a month building this building this agency and i can show you how and it's like well in order to build your agency and do the things you did, you use your fucking business degree and it's things that you learn in school. You put them to practice. So you're just doing this to create a viral TikTok following to drive business when it's like, no, no, it may not have translated well. You probably could have taught yourself how to do this without a six-year business degree, but you're putting into practice what you learn. Like those six years taught you something to lead you to where you are today. I think it's really easy to just say all these things and never have done it and built it. But when you've done it and built it, it's easy to easier to empathize with others when they need that. And so I love that kind of going after survivors and those that have been there through the shit that can help hold your hand. like, well, oh yeah, I saw this that one time. It's it's my big thing against like theoretical teaching versus like doing. Yeah.
1: Well, so I don't know. I have a a neighbor here in Brooklyn who I, who I love Peter. And, uh, Peter, um, is like my Yoda. He's like, he's gotta be 70. I think, um, older guy, one of the like, most wise men I've ever known. Um, he was over last weekend and he said, you can either embrace or resist. You always have that choice when you go through tragedy or loss or rejection or Mm -hmm. anything you can either resist it or you can embrace it and the only way through is embracing it and i think when you take the advice of the superheroes who are like with my foolproof five-step plan you too can be a zillionaire um when it starts to not work you're not the, the problem is you, you didn't follow yeah. the instructions and it's impossible to figure out how do you embrace this? How do you recognize that the, by embracing the the feeling of it and by embracing mm-hmm. the difficulty of it, you're going to be twice as good on the other side, even though, it, and, and that's not saying you don't hurt, it's just putting it in the perspective of you know, you'll be twice as smart because you made this mistake. Yeah. And um, I think every entrepreneur, every entrepreneur needs to have that tenacity and, and needs to appreciate the moments where they get knocked on their ass as being the things that build out that tenacity.
0: I love it. I think mean, that is such a great message to end on, Greg Larkin. Thank you so much for coming on and being a part of Bear Nation. Um, for those wanting to get in touch, I will drop your LinkedIn profile, um, so they can connect with you. Um, and also I will drop a link on Amazon to the book. This might get me fired. If you haven't read it, it's an easy read. It's a great read. Uh, Bear Nation, go show Greg some love, support uh, his book. You'll learn a lot from it. Every entrepreneur and entrepreneur I think should read it, especially when it comes to, uh, the story behind it. And if I had time, I would, I would love to tell that story. Maybe we'll get Greg back in and talk a little bit about that story of the moment he had to to write that book. But Greg, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast series and uh, for supporting Bear Nation. We appreciate you. Appreciate you, Rob Napoli. Thank you for doing what you do. I much love, my man. Bear Nation, thank you so much. Until next time, stay well. Bear Nation, once again, thank you for listening to the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. And until next time, take care.